Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Yesterday we went to Revelation chapter 4. As we talk about worship this week, we saw that we worship God. He is a king, and so when we go before him, we are stepping into the throne room of the king. When we get this glimpse inside the throne room from Revelation chapter 4, it aligns so perfectly and beautifully, exquisitely and by design with a vision that God gave Ezekiel centuries prior to this, uh, the throne room of God as well. Here's Revelation chapter 4. Let this put into perspective how significant worship is. Pray that you've been worshiping individually, but I also pray especially that you're worshiping corporately and you're making, making it a priority to be with your church family in worship this weekend. So we left off right here yesterday. All right, we saw the Jasper and the Carnelian. And then there's another sentence right here that I wanted to, to zoom in on. A rainbow that had, a, had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. It's exquisite. Emeralds uh, have this, you know, beautiful, what is it, like greenish, tealish, bluish hue. And uh, there's this rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So it's almost like perhaps a solid crystalline rainbow. I don't really know. But that's surrounding the throne of God. This is a glimpse, I think, at the intent behind part of the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 9. Here's what the rainbow actually means according to God. This is what has been written for millennia. This is what the rainbow actually symbolizes. This is why when light is cast over the horizon and lands upon a canvas of suspended water vapor on the opposite horizon from wherever the sun is at the time, a perfect arc from our view red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. This is why. I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. Sorry, uh, Al Gore. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. That's us. That's good news. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Okay, to see this? God is the one who placed it there. The hydrological cycle, the refraction of light, these phenomena that we observe with science are a result of God's placement. Whenever I form clouds over the earth, see, and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. All right? Sorry, I don't believe that your dog is in heaven. Please don't be mad at me, but I do know that God cares about animals, and there are animals in heaven. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. 
The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. Okay, no, this does not speak to animal salvation. I have had several pets my whole life. I loved all of them. Uh, but you must remember we're creating the image of God. We hold supremacy and dominion over every other creature. We love these creatures because they can sometimes behave in ways that are human-like, and that's what we like about them. Verse 17, God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. Animals matter to God to the point that he has made a covenant with the animals, never to destroy the whole world's population, save for the progenitor couples that were preserved on the ark. Right? This is what the ark actually, this is what the, this is what the ark foreshadows, and this is what the rainbow really indicates, the rainbow that goes around the throne that we approach when we worship God. For us to enter the throne room of God is to behold a rainbow, that earthly rainbows as we observe them merely foreshadow and glimpse. The color spectrum as we know it, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, that's just what the human eye can capacitate. And that's just what sin-stained physics allow. That's merely what we observe, and it's not all the colors that there are. These are the colors that are bound by physics. Heaven is not bound by physics. This rainbow has the appearance of an emerald, perhaps in its substance or its appearance. But what the rainbow symbolizes is God has promised never to pour his wrath out on the earth that way again. That was not the full extent of the wrath of God upon evil. Remember, we're just coming from the book of Revelation this week. There's a whole lot more to come out, to literally be poured out, as in bowls full of wrath from God to come up upon the earth. In Noah's context, the way to be delivered from the wrath of God was to go through the ark. All right, to accept Noah's invitation, whom the whole world called crazy. And today, the way to say, be saved from the wrath of God, which will not be a flood, it'll be something else, is through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So this rainbow, it's this trophy in the throne room of God, and it's this heavenly parallel to this earthly phenomenon. And God has made this promise to remember this covenant. Every time there's a rainbow on the earth, God knows this is his way of declaring and remembering forever the covenant that he's made. And there's one around his throne at all times. Okay, we do this. We have these little significant reminders. I'm doing it right now. All right, some of the things on the shelf behind me, like this word love here, this is just a reminder of something God did that was amazing at our student ministry in Orlando. We love you, Family Church. Hope you're doing well. All right, this is from the table series. Like we have these things around where we sit that remind us of things. And there is this rainbow that goes around, that surrounds the throne and has the appearance of an emerald. Verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Right, I believe that these are like the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. I think that's what these elders symbolize because you had God's chosen 
nation of Israel divided into 12 tribes, and you had the chosen 12 disciples who then commissioned the seven first priests of the book of Acts. This is the completeness of God. There, is, there are architectural reminders of how God did it. The, when we see the heavenly city comes down to earth, even the outermost layer of its surrounding wall has an architectural cue, an homage to these 12 tribes of Israel. And there are 12 gates as well on this wall that surrounds the heavenly city. It's tremendous. It's an architectural homage to how God saved his people forevermore. And so these 24 elders, and this is my interpretation. Let me know if, if you have a, a different one, but uh, I believe this is this, uh, these elders symbolize the 12 chosen uh, uh, the tribes of Israel and then the, the 12 chosen apostles. And yeah, there's a story behind Judas in this. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. We talked about that yesterday. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Okay, Jesse, what Seven spirits of God. I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. There are six others that I didn't know about. What is this all about? Here's what I believe uh, Revelation 4, 5 is referring to. When, it's, uh, when you're talking about the seven fiery torches that were burning before the throne, I think these are the torches that, uh, I think these torches are parallel to the seven churches that have just been uh, written to. There are seven lampstands that God, that Jesus is walking among, and we know that these represent the, set, the, the, the churches because Jesus says they do. And so there's a correlation between those seven burning lampstands, these stands, these seven fiery torches, and these seven spirits of God. The Spirit of God is in each of them. But there's another Old Testament prophecy you need to know, and it comes from Isaiah. We studied it um, together. Okay, it's called the Holy Dissident series, if you haven't done it yet. Also, it makes for a decent mouse pad. Uh, uh, Isaiah 11, chapter 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. Beautiful glimmer of hope, descendant of Jesse, that leads to David, leads to Jesus. Right? This is, this is something incredible. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. If you think about the baptism of Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. And then the voice of God the Father speaks. It's this profound moment in Scripture where the whole Trinity is on full display, where the Son is being baptized, the Spirit is descending on him, and the Father's voice is heard. Wow. Here's, this, here's the Spirit of the Lord that is resting on Jesus as prophesied seven centuries before his birth in the, the book of Isaiah. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. So when we talk about the seven spirits of God, it could refer to this, right? So we have wisdom. Man, that's a beautiful illumination of, of what Proverbs teaches, right? In the book of Proverbs, we see wisdom herself, right? Uh, personified in the imagery. The spirit of God is a spirit of wisdom. When you have the Holy Spirit, things make sense. It makes you wiser than your teachers, as, as, as you see it described uh, by, by biblical writers. We need worship, man, because that Holy Spirit of God gives us wisdom. You need wisdom, you go to God who gives freely without finding fault. His Holy Spirit is a spirit of wisdom. 
understanding. All right, you need to understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. You need to worship, man. This is, this is straight out of Romans 12. We don't, we don't discern what the next steps are for our lives the way that everybody else does. We're weird. We're Christians. We don't conform to the pattern of this world, but we are actually transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is a spiritual act of worship as opposed to a physical act of worship as in the Old Covenant, rather in a fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We worship wherever we are, in spirit and in truth. And as we do this, we're able to test and approve the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. It's Romans 12. It's about worship. And the result is an ability to understand the will of God. He is the spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel. Okay, do you need counsel? You can, th- you can interpret this as in terms of wisdom and understanding. It does seem to be quite confluent with the, 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 the previous two. But also, man, it's a comforting thing. It's a comforting thing. I know that we're talking from Revelation chapter 4, which can be awe-inspiring and terrifying, and it ought to be. That rainbow is also an homage to how God not only delivered some and made a covenant never to do it again that way, but it's also a reminder of how God slew everyone who rebelled against him. He's not a castrated God. Okay, that rainbow that surrounds the throne that we approach when we worship, it does not indicate I'm a dude who likes dudes. It indicates God killed everyone on the earth who rebelled against him. And he has made a promise never to do it by way of a flood again. He is just. And he does not make idle threats. And this book we're studying from, this awesome, incredible book, describes how God is going to pour his wrath out again upon the earth in the last days. So, buck up and repent. The rainbow flags the most grotesque act of appropriation ever because it celebrates some of the very same sins for which God poured his wrath out on the earth in the first place. God's had the rainbow for millennia and he has it forever. This is a throne and the one who sits on it is God. But when we go before this holy God, we're filled with this Holy Spirit and worship. We also do receive comfort. Isn't that good news? We've talked about this numerous times, but it's worth reiterating one more time. A full gospel presentation includes the wrath that God has for sin, but also the grace that God has for sinners. Rain fell, flooded the earth, but God made a way. Every time God pours out his wrath, there's always a merciful way out. In the days of the flood, that was the ark. Today, it's Jesus. When we worship God, we also do receive comfort. I feel like I have been utterly, utterly emotionally dependent upon worship just countless times in my life. It's not why we worship, okay? I don't go before the throne of God to get anything from Him. I'm not going to get my fix, okay? It's not about an, uh, an emotionalism. It's not about an adrenaline rush. But because God is the embodiment of love, it does have the effect of this counsel. 
He's the God of all comfort, after all. See our study with that, that very title, 2 Corinthians. And strength, the Spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength. Do you know that the sovereignty of God would not really be sovereign if it weren't for the strength and the omnipotence of God? And the omnipotence of God would not really matter to you and me if it weren't for the sovereignty of God. Because if it weren't for the sovereignty of God, he would not have the authority to exercise said strength. If he had absolute sovereignty but lacked strength, then he wouldn't really actually be sovereign. If he had absolute strength but no authority to administer said strength, then his strength wouldn't matter to us. So he's absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely omnipotent. This is important. This is the Spirit of God. These are the seven spirits of God, I believe, in, in Revelation. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, okay, knowledge. This is important too. You see how it's distinctive from wisdom above? Wisdom and knowledge. There is a distinction between the two. There is a distinction. See to it that you are not merely amassing for yourself an encyclopedic, pharisaical body of knowledge. Okay, you can, you can go to seminary. You can, get, you can amass multiple degrees. You can probably get a degree online from a joke seminary. Okay, you can memorize flashcards and you can have lots of knowledge but not have wisdom but this doesn't preclude knowledge from the domain of God, his Holy Spirit. It's his too. All of it's his as well. The Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., it's exquisite. It's beautiful. It's massive. It could be the most incredible thing ever built, but I think it also could be the most dangerous thing ever made. Because it's possible to work there and not know Jesus. The one thing that's missing from the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. is the gospel. It's full of knowledge, but I don't, I don't see that knowledge applied through wisdom. Every recorded historical anecdote and factoid belongs to God. It's all His. The seven spirits of God before the throne, whom we approach when we worship together, spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, strength, and yes, it also includes knowledge. And this is perfectly framed, framed a fear of the Lord. This reverential awe of God. This fear of the Lord is something that we must have on our hearts as we worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, this is John chapter 4. We saw this in our sermon. We know that this is pivotal. This is absolutely critical. And that fear of the Lord, that reverential awe of God, that is something that comes because of the Holy Spirit. And so that haunting, that deep conviction for sin, that sudden awareness of this immense presence who has always been there, right, that drives you to your knees, that fear of the Lord, that is part of a, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what I think is going on in the seven spirits of God that are, are mentioned around the throne of God, right? It has a rainbow that surrounds it with the appearance of an emerald. 
There are 24 elders. They're dressed in white clothes, symbolizing their purity with golden crowns on their heads, which you'll see later on. They're just for the purpose of laying down at the feet of God. These flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder that come from the throne. There are seven fiery torches uh, which were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So Jesse, where is the seventh? You listed six attributes in Isaiah 11, but where is the seventh? I think that this speaks perhaps to the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is about Jesus after all. And so there are seven torches. There are seven lampstands in Revelation. That's the more likely interpretation, but I do think that we're onto something with Isaiah 11. I think that it names these six attributes, these six ministries of the Holy Spirit of God. And I think that we worship him. I think that's how we come to know the seventh. So worship God with reverential awe. Do not neglect worship because from that very act of worship, you will experience these seven ministries, wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, a fear of the Lord. We need all of these things. We need worship like we need our next breath. 